Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, and I am joined today by my co-host, Eric Kahn, the CEO and co-founder of Leverage. Now, our guests today are three members of the Core Connect team, Asar Badri, the CEO and co-founder, John Horn, the president and chief strategy officer, and Mitchell Kelly, the chief engineer. Now, Core Connect and Leverage have a pretty long relationship of working together, so there's a really interesting dynamic between the two groups and in a very positive and, and um, informative way, so I hope you guys really enjoy kind of the back and forth that you'll get to hear on this week's episode. Now, to give you a little background on Core Connect, they are a hardware company that focuses on custom hardware in the IoT space. They believe that things should be very simple and straightforward, and the process that they've created to build hardware kind of represents that, which we talk a little bit more about in this episode. Um, Some of the benefits that they provide are that they really help customers simplify IoT deployments as well as accelerate their time to scale. They provide a variety of different services, so everything from full-stack design development engineering services to supply chain management visibility and professional and consulting services. Now, they focus on partnering directly with customers to ensure that product launch requirements are met, and the way they do that is something that's um, discussed a good bit on this episode that I hope you guys really find value in and pay attention to. Um, Just to give you a quick rundown of kind of the topics and questions that are discussed. So we start out with an introduction to Core Connect, more about their, their company, what they do. We introduce each of the members of, or each of the guests today. And then we get into really what does it mean to build custom hardware for an IoT deployment? You know, what does that process really look like? And during that discussion, we talk a little bit more about Core Connect's secret sauce that allows them to accelerate hardware development and time to market. Something that, you know, when most people hear the word custom anything, they think it's going to be very expensive, take a lot of time, and be a pain to deal with. But in this case, it really doesn't seem like that's the case at all. So um, please make sure you guys listen to that. That's in the first, you know, few minutes of the episode. We then get into insights into the software behind the hardware. Uh, We talked to Mitchell, their chief engineer, about, you know, firmware and kind of what goes into the development of the software that is inside the hardware. Um, We then transition a little bit over to Eric to talk a little bit more from a software perspective, the whole custom hardware versus off-the-shelf hardware dilemma that comes into, um, depending on use cases, uh, cost, and other, obviously, parameters that um, or decision-making pieces that that companies need to weigh when deciding what kind of hardware to use. So we talk about just the comparison between custom and off-the-shelf hardware for IoT solutions and how you can decide which is best for your use case. Then we shift over to talking about common roadblocks associated with IoT hardware deployments, how security is handled in IoT device development, and then from the hardware and software perspective, how will LP WAN impact IoT there's a reason we kind of shift gears and talk more about the connectivity piece about midway uh, through the episode. Uh, we, f- we round up the, the episode by talking about or uh, providing some kind of insights and advice on, uh, you know, basically when searching for an IoT hardware partner or, or let's say an IoT software partner, what questions should companies ask themselves and be prepared to answer during that process? Just to kind of, you know, general advice, um, general insights that that each side has kind of experienced with different customers that I think are really, really valuable and we're, we're sharing with the audience that I hope you guys find uh, a lot of interest in. But other than that, you know, this episode I think is great. The back and forth between the two sides is, is adds a lot of excitement and energy to this episode. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy this episode with the Core Connect team and Leverage. Welcome to the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, uh, and I'm here today with a nice little group of people. Um, my co-host today is Eric Kahn, the CEO of Leverage. I want to have Eric quickly introduce himself. 
Hey, everyone out there. Uh, we're super excited today because uh, we have some uh, friends of ours from Arizona joining the podcast. Uh, so uh, I'll let Ryan continue the introductions. Yes, those people from uh, Arizona, the Core Connect team, uh, Asar, John, and Mitchell, would you guys mind just going around introducing yourselves real quick, a little background on kind of how you ended up in the, in the field and the position you're in now? Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the introduction. Um, my name is Asar Badri. I'm the CEO of Core Connect. Uh, been in the industry uh, two decades, uh, specifically in IoT, a uh, better part of the last decade or so. Um, and yeah, just always been around, in and around technology. And last uh, last five, six, seven years has been really interesting for IoT and really excited to be in the space and, um, and see how it evolves from here on out. Hi, this is John Horn. I'm the President and Chief Strategy Officer here at Core Connect. I have 20 years IoT specific. Um, I helped build the and launch the M to M IoT channel at T-Mobile. I've been a carrier guy. I have been a platform guy. I've had some successful exits in the industry, and now I get to be part of the exciting Core Connect strategy of what's going to move forward here. And I have a unique perspective because I was their customer before uh, joining the company, so I know what it looks like on the inside and the outside. Hello, my name is Mitchell. I'm the principal engineer at Core Connect. I'm still working on my first decade of experience, but I've uh, been on the software side, the hardware side, and the uh, the firmware, and definitely like the low level and the intersection really where I can do the firmware and the hardware design at the same time and really complete the full solution instead of just being in one part of a, uh, a much larger uh, implementation. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's great to have you guys on today. Um, one of the things I want to start out with is, Asar, if you wouldn't mind kind of just giving a little insight to our audience um, about Core Connect, kind of what you guys do, or the space you play in, just uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Core Connect is a full-service IoT hardware firmware product development firm. Uh, we specialize in everything from uh, electrical engineering, RF engineering, firmware development. Uh, we do mechanical, industrial design. Uh, and really end-to-end -end product development down to the manufacturing level. So we, we actually shepherd the product all the way from ideation down to it's on the factory floor uh, being uh, being produced. So that's what Core Connect does. Very cool. So can you talk a little bit more about what does it mean to actually build, let's say, custom hardware for an IoT deployment? Like, you know, what, what is that process like at a high level? Not necessarily it has to be specific to how you guys operate, but just like if a customer's listening to this or, you know, anyone in the IoT space and they're curious about how the devices get made, what does that look like um, on the custom development front? So it all starts understanding what the customer's needs are. Is it a, a strategy they're going for? Is it a use case they're trying to develop to? Um, is there some kind of operational gain that they're trying to take advantage of? That's really where it begins, is identifying those key core um, core bits of information. Uh, from there, we try to uh, sit with the customer, do an ideation session, understand where are they going long term? Can we develop hardware that might take advantage of something else in the future? Is there other maybe groups that could take advantage of that within their company or other processes that can be uh, leveraged there as well? That's the second part of the equation. Once we identify those um, key pieces of information, we can then go on to developing a concept of what a custom piece of hardware might look like. Um, and that's really all about identifying you know, constraints. Is there a size constraint? Is there a battery constraint? Is there a, a particular technology like a, an LP WAN technology constraint? Is it uh, going to be in a, in a factory floor setting? Is it going to be in a contained lot? Is it going to be in a citywide type project? So that's where we identify those key um, key parameters that help drive what that solution looks like. 
Uh, then from then it goes to a design phase where we sit down with a customer and review what our overall system looks like. Internally, we might be doing simulations or uh, doing a, a design review, doing a, a schematic review, looking at to what, from an electrical standpoint, makes the most sense. And then from there, it goes on to uh, prototyping, where we might look at an actual hardware build, so a quick turn build of a, of a circuit board, uh, build it all out, actually put some firmware on there and test out the use case. Does it work? Does it meet the customer's needs? Um, at that point, we'd call the customer back in. Um, we'd review that with them, show them an actual demo of that custom piece of hardware, and then determine what changes need to be made. And from then on out, it would be kind of an iterative process, right? Making those changes and then closing them down, locking it, and then going into manufacturing. So that's the whole kind of life cycle, if you will, from you know ideation, concepts, we have a problem I need to solve X issue to I now have a piece of hardware in my hand that solves that problem. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, thanks, Asar. Um, one of the things, you know, um, Leverage has, has worked with you guys uh, on a couple different uh, deployments. One of the things that's always impressed me with your group is the ability to very quickly generate custom hardware. So, you know, a lot of the listeners out there, and I know I was under the same impression being more of a software person, that, you know, custom hardware, you're looking at six months, nine months, and very, very, you know, high cost to do it. But you guys, you know, in the experience we've had directly with you, you're able to create things that didn't exist um, in 60 days, um, you know, so that you'd actually have something to test and we could integrate it into our platform and actually show live data. Can, can you kind of walk me through, like, what is the secret that you guys use or processes that you're using internally to be able to turn around so quickly? Because that, that is pretty impressive and unusual in the custom hardware space. I'll, I'll start off, Eric. This is John, and then uh, hand it over to Asar. But, the, you know, let me talk to you also from your perspective as partnering with us, but all my perspective as a customer. So when I met them for the first time three and a half years ago, we went through those that session as, as uh, Asar was talking about to find out what the needs were for my company. This was not a week-long, month-long, meetings-long process. This was one meeting. And in the, when they left that meeting, they made commitments to me on timeframes, costs that uh, were unattainable in the industry. And I thought there was no way on earth they could do it. And you, you're right. They do things in timeframe at CoreConnect that no one else can do. And um, Asar can talk about how that happens, but from the perspective of me being 20 years almost in this industry, the number one point of failure for companies is hardware. It's hard to get it right and in timeframes and under budget. It's a huge, huge challenge in this space. People don't fail because of software. They don't fail because they don't have the right product necessarily. It's the hardware that is the gotcha. And Core Connect has solved that, and I'll, I'll let him explain how that happens. Yeah, thank you for that, John. It's you know at the end of the day, uh, hardware doesn't have to be hard, right? You don't need to be in a situation where you feel like you have to, you know, reinvent the wheel every time. The secret really is breaking apart what the solution is into to nice chunks, right? We call them unit blocks. So you have a unit block, whether it's radio, whether it's you know GPS, whether it's your microcontrollers or accelerometers, whatever the case may be, breaking that all apart and simplifying the problem, right? A customer needs to solve X issue. They need to sense, you know, fill level of you know a grain silo or a tank or whatever the case may be. 
focusing on just what that technology is and how to solve that problem makes everything much easier. You don't got to boil the ocean every time when you're doing a, a POC. It's just solving the immediate need for the customer, showing them that, hey, there's value here. You can get to where you need to get to. We can piece this together, but let's first start with solving your immediate problem. So the secret really is just breaking it apart, right? It's how do you eat an elephant? You just start at one end and keep going. It's all you yeah, can do. So, so basically, you guys have kind of figured out how to decompose from a hardware and module level, and even on a board layout level, I assume at some level, um, the ability to modularize these different subsystems that go into basically every type of device and then swap in and out different, say, connectivity, a SIM chip for cellular versus a LoRa module for, for a, a LoRa deployment versus something else. Um, yeah, you seem to be just to have figured out that secret sauce that allows you to reliably, quickly, and and with uh, you know high quality deliver hardware for a solution that you know hardware that really is not available in the market um, that to solve a very specific customer pain point. That that's been a very unique experience we've had in working with you guys. It's been a, you know I think a secret to our joint success with uh, some of the customers we share. Okay. Yeah, modularization is definitely the key. I think you just said it right, and that's been going on in a lot of lot of markets for a long time. And it just seems like for some for one reason one reason or another, technology just hasn't caught up in a way that can take advantage of that. Like if you look at automotive, for example, automotive industry has been doing that for for decades, right? Having uh, scalable architecture, using building you know different cars with the same frames or same engines, and swapping things in and out. At the end of the day, we're doing something very very similar. You're just not having to reinvent every piece of the pie yeah. every time. And as the non-engineer in the room, I, I like to call them Legos just because I can visualize that very easily. And one of the other advantages not only is is speed, but reliability. If you're not redesigning everything from scratch every single time, you get something that yeah. works. Yeah, and, and sort of for, for Mitchell, since I know Mitchell's kind of the man behind the curtains a lot uh, in terms of writing the firmware. Um, Mitchell, do you also have sort of libraries of things that you've done or techniques you've built that you can also apply to the hardware? Yes, yeah, so for for the firmware, all of the firmware is very, very closely tied with exactly which piece of hardware you're using. And one of the things that makes it really easy or easier, kind of the secret sauce, is the ability to have a large portfolio of tools to choose from. So that way, when the customer says, I need this level of sensitivity for motion, you don't say, okay, cool, well, our accelerometer doesn't really do that, but we'll try our best to make it get there. Um, we make sure that our, our firmware and our drivers to run all these things, we keep just bringing in random things. So even if we don't have an immediate use case, we spec some time out to say, let's bring on a new piece of uh, a new, new accelerometer, a new moisture level sensor, just something new to try and increase our portfolio. So when the customer comes in and says, I need to do X, you already have the tool as opposed to, um, you have one hammer and everything looks like a nail, so you just keep using it, even if it's the not the right thing. It makes the development much, much harder because you have to work around constraints that wouldn't be there if you just used the right tool. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so you're you're doing a lot of IRAD kind of like a product development or product investment to sort of foretell what a customer might ask for. So when they ask for a solution ahead of time, it may not be the first time you're hearing of it, or you at least thought of it and experimented with certain aspects of it. So then you use your modular approach to put the pieces together, but you have kind of well-known and well-characterized uh, subcomponents. Correct. I mean, there's an unlimited amount of sensors in the marketplace, right? You, yeah. you can't you can't possibly have a, you know, a toolkit that 
contains everything. But if you give your engineering time, engineering people time to go and evaluate and look at and understand how these different pieces work, when you go to a customer, you can say, well, yeah, we've worked on a sensor that does X. We can do that, right? That, that's really what bridges the gap. And I think what, if I could step into the next part of the, the secret sauce, if you will, is using the toolkits that are available in the open market, right? There's a lot of open source hardware right now that does a very, very good job of allowing you to iterate quickly on hardware. Um, a lot of platforms like ESP32, for example, I know that's a, a favorite of Mitchell's. Mitchell, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit and some of the benefits that you have from using hardware like that to, to iterate on. Uh, the nice thing there is you can, so there's all the, the libraries and stuff, and just work with the actual manufacturers, the people who, who build the thing. So like the ESP32, for example, uh, Espressive did a good job in setting up a, a platform to make it easy for people to develop. And some of sometimes with certain products, like that platform's already there, you just have to go ask them for it, find the right person to say, hey, your examples are awful online. They go, oh, well, we have a better example. And they'll give you the firmware example to enable their hardware. Yeah, they're very open. They're very open with it because they want to sell hardware, so they'll help you to be able to make your full product. They're just giving you a certain driver to get maybe Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or Spy, or whatever your your connectivity is you're trying to get done. They use it's in their best interest to help you and just reaching out to them. So if something's not clear in a data sheet, the quickest way is usually get on a conference call with them and say, "Hey, let's walk through this." Get a, an FAE or somebody on the line so we can uh, we can figure out exactly how to bring this online. And then other things. So um, another possibility is if you're at the uh, the lower level where you don't have the experience to be able to do all this and bring it online quickly, you could even start at the Arduino level and then say, okay, we know we cannot pr- mass produce this with Arduino, but you can do a quick and dirty test. You can uh, you can make something work real quick just to say, is this possible? Um, microchip is another partner we use a lot and their, their dev kits are fantastic. You can just, you know, go online and say, I want to use this sort of family or you want a, a pick 32, a pick 24, and they have dev kits for just about every single one of their parts or something in that family. So if you need to bring a new driver online or something like that, a lot of the code you write for one can be ported over to the next one. And then you just do little changes. So it's incremental changes as you do a new project or a new product, as opposed to starting from scratch every time. Yeah, that, that seems to be a key enabler for you guys, because uh, you do have very strong relationships with a lot of the semiconductor companies and module makers. And as you say, they, they are, it's in everyone's best interest. They want to sell modules. They want to sell them at scale. And so the easier they can make it for you guys and ultimately for an SI or, or software platform like ours to to help them sell more, they, they want to do that. So, you know, there's relationships with the microchips and the Nordics and, and, you know, that entire industry, I think are really important. And you guys uh, definitely seem to know a lot of those, a lot of that space and have a good relationship with them. Yeah, it's just engagement, right? Early and, and, and often engagement with these different semiconductor manufacturers is key. And like you said, everyone wants to sell you hardware at the end of the day to be an ingredient within your, your, your application. So, understanding what, even if it means just sticking with one to start with, Cypress, Microchip, Nordic, whoever, just sticking with one, understanding what what their key offerings are and building that relationship, that, that goes a long, long way. Yeah, yeah. And you are in the, uh, what, what do you call it out there in the desert? Is it Silicon Desert? Silicon Desert. Yeah. Silicon Desert. Silicon yes. Desert. So, yeah, yeah I, I, that, I learned that directly from uh, from those guys last time I visited. How many <laughs> how many semiconductor companies were all like within five mile radius of where their office is? 
well, when it's 115 outside, we can make our own silicone on the, yeah. on the sidewalk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do want to do want to kind of step back for a second and talk a little bit. So we just kind of went over a lot of detail about the custom development process, but then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have kind of the off the shelf options. And I I want to kind of ask both sides this question, but I'll start with Eric. Just as like a systems integrator and more of a software company, what how do you kind of decide when you're working with a customer on the custom route versus the off the shelf route? Is it a certain stage of development makes sense? Is it really specific to use case? Is it cost oriented? You know, kind of what's that? thought process around it and advice that you give to companies that you're helping make that decision? Yeah, generally, you know, as, as if a customer comes to us first, you know, and they don't have hardware in mind and we don't have hardware because we're not a hardware company, um, we'll, we'll first look to see, are there things in market that may be able to solve at least immediate problem? Um, generally, uh, I'd say about half the time, there's nothing out there that actually will do the job, which seems amazing because there's there's literally hundreds of companies producing sensor hardware now for various uh, ilks and, and connectivity options. But about half the time, there is nothing out there that will actually do exactly what the customer needs. Um, so, so you have a choice on the front end. You can either take the existing hardware, which again has built-in margins um, that have been stacked across the board to get to that final product. So, so it, you'll generally be paying a, a premium price to get an asset tracker or a fill level you know, monitor or something like that, um, which may serve you for a pilot. You know, if you're only buying 100 or 50, then, then you, can, you can afford to pay that premium per sensor. But if the customer really wants to scale, and that's what most customers ultimately want to do, it generally just, the, the economics don't work. And so that's where you get into, okay, as, you know, as sort of owning, helping the customer decide what is the best fit for them, a custom hardware solution really becomes your only choice because it's only when you do that that you can really control every element of the bomb and build up the cost basis and you know what your bogey is like you know i had that sensor has to be thirty dollars or less for this for the economics to work on this use case and you generally can't get that kind of flexibility in off the shelf stuff so so when i look at it just in general sort of wrapping it up I look at off-the-shelf stuff. If it's available and it's easy to integrate and relatively inexpensive for a pilot, we'll, we'll try to use that just to prove out the value. But ultimately, I think um, most of the scaled deployments, you're going to end up um, with a custom custom solution. thing that QuirConnect has been able to do, because they're so fast at it, is they actually have added a new wrinkle to it because they, you know, instead of sort of doing that high-cost pilot with off-the-shelf hardware, a lot of times we'll go to Core Connect and say, hey, there's not exactly the thing we need, but we need this in like 60 days. Can you actually build something somewhat custom to meet this pilot? And they'll say yes, and they'll actually deliver. So so it's kind of, it's it's unusual to be able to have that option. And so as an SI and cloud platform, we really enjoy working with companies like Core Connect because it allows us more flexibility to actually deliver the right solution at the right cost right up front instead of a sort of a, a, a placeholder you know solution right and then having to start you know the phase two when they're ready to go and now you have to start all over with a totally new hardware design yeah that's something um just in talking with other guests and other people around the iot industry just the hardware is always a very daunting part of the project and you guys everyone here has kind of alluded to that at times but what core connect seems to be doing is making is taking that kind of fear and that time to market out of the equation or at least you know, 
kind of bringing it down. So that's, and that's great. So I'm curious on the core connect side, how do you guys um, kind of, I guess, work in those situations where um, do you ever have clients that come to you that there maybe is an off the shelf version that you kind of push them to, to kind of get the pilot off the ground or is every engagement that you work with usually a, something custom um, and that usually works and kind of suits their needs? You know, at the end of the day, IoT is all about time mm -hmm. to market, right? If you, if you, if you, if you start with a off the shelf solution, which we have done in the past said, here, here's a, here's an off the shelf product. We're going to add some sensors to it and you're going to pilot this for, you know, five or 10, 15 units, more of a POC really than a pilot. We've done that. But at the end of the day, a customer wants to have something specific. So let's take asset tracking. For example, if you, if you want just an asset tracker, there are plenty of asset trackers you can buy on the open market that, you know, utilize some form of LP WAN. But if you want one that, you know, lasts for more than three years, or it's at least IP68 rated, or becomes, you know, uh, is very small or works extended temperatures, then the pool is incredibly small to which devices are actually available in the open market. And that's back to the requirements, understanding what the customer's requirements are. So if a customer goes from, you know, a, a POC to a pilot, oftentimes when they like what they see in the pilot, they want to jump to production quickly. That's all about, that's everything. Right. That's everything for them is getting to market quickly, getting the product out there and realizing the values, the gains that they get from IoT. So that's where having a custom bit of hardware actually helps because it's, again, as Eric alluded to, it's all about scale. If you want scale, you're oftentimes going to need custom hardware because ultimately that's how you drive costs down. It's not the other way around, as some people may assume. Gotcha. Yeah, and you'll also get exactly what you need um, based on the customer's real requirements. So. You know, every every nuance of the implementation affects the hardware decision and the software decision at some level, but definitely the hardware decision and imposes new things that they have to think about as they're designing it. And and that universe of potentials is so big that no matter what custom um, non-customer standard stuff's out there, it will never meet all the constraints like new temperature, range, precision, um, you know, latency. Uh, there's just so many dimensions and they all, you know, the universe becomes gigantic. There's hundreds of thousands of combinations of things that have to be traded off. And that's why, you know, custom hardware, you can get exactly what you want. And if you can deliver it at the speed at which Core Connect has demonstrated, that that is a, a real competitive advantage for, for a customer. Um, and it also, they know what their true cost is. Um, and they can manage that on the CapEx side, which is usually where all the hardware goes, um, right up front. Mm -hmm. And they instead of, oh, I'm going to pay $100 for my asset trackers for the POC or the right. pilot, but I only need 100 of them, so that's 10000 bucks. Okay, I can live with that. But then they think about a million. They're not mm -hmm. going to spend $100 million on asset tracking hardware. So now they're going to be like, hey, can you get this thing down to 20 bucks or less? You know, core, uh, having a partner like Core Connect, you can actually have those discussions up front so that they're not scared to even think about scaling um, because you don't want to get in that pilot purgatory stage where a lot of IoT ends up, where you show it, show that it can actually be done. You can solve the business pain point, but then the economics of scale just work against you and you can never get there. And what I've noticed is a lot more customers are a little more educated about that now than they used to be. So it's not just about the pilot. They start asking us upfront questions about, well, I have 1,500 stores. How much is it going to cost me 
at scale to run this thing? How much is the CapEx? What is the OpEx? So a lot of times they won't even green light the pilot or the POC until they feel comfortable that they can scale. That That is a nuance to the conversation that I'm noticing a lot more in 2019 and going into 2020 than I certainly did and see in 2018 and 2017. Yeah, that's a really good point, Eric. We've seen that quite a bit with um, customers who just have a lot of, it's information overload, right? They have, they get to hear a lot on the open market about do, do I use cellular? Do I use narrowband? Do I use CAD M1? Do I use LoRa in this case? Is there, is it Bluetooth? Is it Wi-Fi? And they get lost in the shuffle of all these things that are available, right? Out there in the open market for them to, to, to integrate with. And that's what I feel like causes the most heartache for customers when they go to integrate is not understanding or not having a good grasp as to what actually is the best solution for them, right? And it all begins back at requirements, understanding what you actually need to accomplish. What is your real end goal? Don't don't focus on what you, you know, you may read online from this place or that place. What is your real end goal? And then just working down what technology actually is a best fit. Yep, absolutely. Um, one other thing I think that'd be interesting to talk about, we have a couple of different topics I know we wanted to, to bring up here, but one of them that I'm curious about is in the custom development process, as a customer, what kind of, I guess, what are some roadblocks that you guys have seen your customers go through or, or that have encountered on, um, you know, throughout that process that maybe going into uh, an engagement uh, as a customer, they may not expect? That's a good question. Um, I mean, there's there's definitely the cost aspect, right? Oftentimes, customers are, are really um, scared of what a custom hardware solution may end up costing them. Not mm -hmm. just in the long run, but in the short run, NRE. Um, and oftentimes it's, well, I don't have budget, right? I need to prove this out. I'm a large company or a mid-sized company, whatever the case may be. And I need to prove this out um, to our, our management chain or board of directors or whatever the case may be there to ensure that this there's actual value here, right? There's a return on our investment. So cost is a large determinant of whether they go down this path or not. And ultimately, cost goes hand in hand with development time. More development time you have, the more expensive something gets. And if you have something worked out to a point that you don't need to spend an inordinate amount of time, you know, like I, Eric mentioned earlier, six months, right? I think it's a very typical thing we hear in the in hardware development. The amount of time it takes to go from an idea to actual hardware, five months or four months, it's a long amount of time to be putting engineers on a project to develop something. And that often ends up costing a fair amount of money. If you can get something done in, you know, five weeks or six weeks, and the cost comes down. There's less pressure on the business unit to actually make a decision to go into pilot, ultimately realize the value, and then take it to production. So cost is a big one. Well, and also being able to move from point of or you know your POC to your pilot to your deployment quickly is a better use of their resources all the way around because they're trying to get an ROI. And the faster you get to that ROI, the better the overall solution is for everybody involved. So. Every step of the way, it saves resources, whether it's money, people, whatever it is they're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Anytime they're like custom word out there, people start thinking it's going to be expensive, but um, not always the case is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's also just the idea of, you know, project momentum. You know, when, when things drag out, you know, people lose excitement. Um, and so, you know, speed to market just keeps the whole team energized and focused and excited to actually see the things and demonstrate that ROI the business needs. Yeah, we, we try to drive the, the team here to have a mindset to iterate hardware like you iterate software. 
we work in sprints similar to, you know, how you would work to develop software. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the key, right? Getting through those sprints and then showing that immediately to the customer. Hey, this is what we've accomplished in the sprint. This is what's done. This is where your project's headed, right? Maybe it's mechanical designs. Maybe it's a board layout. Maybe it's, you know, a high level bill of materials that you can take back to, you know, the finance department to say, this is roughly what the project may cost. Having that happen early, that engagement early and often in the, in the customer relationship is huge in ensuring that the customer succeeds and gets all the way through to the pilot and then ultimately through production. Yeah, and one of the things that, and this is a small, but I think it's an important thing, kind of going back to customer engagement and momentum is, you know, you guys uh, readily produce like 3D printed kind of models, even if the electronics are not inside, you're able to put that in a customer's hand so they actually can tactically feel the size, the weight, they kind of see, hey, it's kind of cool looking, it looks stealthy or whatever. So, you know, that's sort of the hardware design aspect, I think is a really cool thing that, that you guys do and leaning forward and, and really, really sort of that agile process of hardware, which is which is definitely unusual. A lot of, you know, a lot of traditional design companies, you know, they'll, they'll get their requirements up front and, and they'll, I'm not saying they don't do a good job, but they kind of go dark. And so the customer is like, you know, for four or five months, not really sure what's happening. It's all a black box. There's not a lot of disclosure in between that time. And so the customer gets a little anxious. They're waiting for five months for something to come out, which may be functioning at that point. But, you know, they could have taken the opportunity maybe two or three times in between that five-month period to show prototypes or just the casing or various other components uh, and demonstrate, you know, keep the momentum. And you, you guys seem to get that you know, from a from a BD and just from a corporate culture standpoint of keeping the customer engaged on the hardware and spinning it around really, really quick, I think is a, is a, is a real key thing to, for your end customers to feel confidence. You're absolutely right, Eric. And the other thing from the engineering standpoint is it makes our lives easier to get feedback early and often because it's much, much harder to change a design after you've done you know four months of work and you're like, it is ready to go. We have molds getting created. And you put it in their hands and they're like, this this doesn't feel like what I thought that picture you showed me on the uh, the email that one time. It's not what I thought it would feel like. It needs to be lighter. And you're like, well, we, we're, we're past that point. We can't change that very quickly. Right. Right. Another four months. But if we send you a thing and we say, this is the design, this is what we think it's going to weigh. We don't have the components exactly to make it weigh that. We put some lead weights in it, seal it up. So this is almost exactly what you would feel. You can have a 3D printed case, it won't be the same plastic, but it'll get you the same look and feel. And then the customer can give you your feedback right away and say, no, that, that was not what I was picturing when you described it to me and showed me those CAD models. Because that's the thing, a lot of times the engineers will forget that other people don't see the same thing. Right. We work with CAD models and PCB layouts all the time. So when we look at it, we know what that means in real life, but then you give it to somebody who they've never done this before they're going to look at it, they're going to get a completely different picture. And we'll be talking about the same thing, but picturing completely different things. But by getting, believing. It, yeah, by getting it there real early, we can we can get our reality check as engineers and say, oh, yeah, uh, I need to I need to change how I describe this and make sure that they really get to feel it. Yeah, that that's important. I mean, everyone can look on a piece of paper and say, oh, it's two and three quarter inches long and an inch thick. And but until you actually hold it in your hand, you don't really realize what that means. <laughs> you Because you, you don't put a ruler on your hand in your palm. Like you need the physical thing, the weight, the touch, 
Um, and yeah, I think that's really important sort of aspect of kind of your business practice. It's just what you do for all your customers. And I think it really helps you um, form that tighter relationship with your end customer. Uh, and every everybody, I mean, just modern society, people want to be connected more frequently and more often and have update about everything, <laughs> our relationships, everything we're doing. So, you know, bringing that sort of thought process to hardware design is a really good idea. And I think customers really embrace it. I, I don't think you can communicate too much. When I was their customer, they were constantly communicating with us. And that's why they got it exactly right the first time. Yep. There was no question when that product deployed. Yeah, going going dark, going dark on your customer for weeks on end, months on end, and just saying, well, when we're done, you'll get it. You'll get it on this date. It is never, never works. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not a good idea for anybody. Yeah. Never a good idea. Mitchell, Mitchell, you said something a second ago about that iteration process and kind of as you get further along, it makes it more difficult to change the hardware. And that's something that I think is a big fear of people when they go down that hardware route or custom hardware route is, you know, feeling like they're going to get a little bit further. They're going to learn something new about their use case or their situation and they're going to have to change it. And that's going to be expensive. On the other or in addition to that fear, there's always a fear of security. And I'm curious how on the, the firmware side, kind of more on the, the technical elements you guys handle security we've had a lot of guests on here that talk about device security and how expensive it is to kind of incorporate device security later on down the line rather than trying to focus on it from the beginning where it's actually more it's a bit cheaper to um, to be thinking about it how do you guys handle security in your devices um, when you're building them for customers kind of what's that process look like or um, what is your overall philosophy on that uh, so, so to answer the first part, that's why we try to do the requirements very quickly and precisely and do that feedback as often as possible. So that way we don't have to make changes later on. Uh, mm -hmm. Usually what we found, though, for when they want to add additions to hardware and it's not a miscommunication on what they wanted to begin with, right. changes aren't as hard to make in hardware later. So, you know, we got the core of the product exactly the way they want. They want to make a change to a part of it. That's not hard. But if you miss what the core of the product was supposed to be, that's where it becomes very hard to do the change later on. Um, but for the uh, the security, you're absolutely right that uh, security needs to be designed into the product from the very beginning. Um, security as an afterthought never works well. Uh, I think most people have seen the uh, all the, the news articles about the IoT webcams and just IoT devices mm -hmm. turning into botnets. Um, those are ones where, yes, you built the product for what it was supposed to do, but you didn't consider how people are going to abuse it. Um, so uh, secure elements is one of the things that we, we look to in our design. I mean, it, it all comes down to what the customers, what their decision is, and we'll say, this is where we would prioritize security, and we always put it very high up. So we work with uh, companies like Kudelski Security and uh, Microchip. They also have a secure element. Uh, they're paired with uh, Google has a, a back end for it as well. And just making sure that security is something that we tell the customers, this is important, especially with depending on what your connectivity option is. But even if you have uh, very little connectivity, there's always the, the possibility that your software can only be as good as the device is feeding it. And if you can't trust the devices feeding it, then you, you it, essentially your application becomes questionable. So you have mm -hmm. to make sure that the device level itself, the device that reports the data is who he says he is. Right. And and so building it yeah. in, just making sure we're on, on top with the, uh, the latest security trends and making sure that we don't incorporate anything that 
has bugs in it already and making sure that they're not broken encryption standards or things like that we that we use. Going back to the first part of the question, though, something that Core Connect does an amazing job of is trying to find out what the customer's plans are in two, three, four, five years. It's not just about this device, this solution, because people do have an idea where they want to go, and Core Connect can design that future into the device. Maybe they don't use it now, they don't spend it now, but the footprint's there, as, as Mitchell said, and, and so changes don't have to be huge cost changes because there's an understanding of, of their roadmap into the future. So I think that's a real critical part. It's not just about this product. And it doesn't always, and John brings a good point, that doesn't always have to have a, carry a cost it either. I mean, we may design something in, for example, but just not install it at factory time, right? So when you get to actual production, you determine that you know this, this release doesn't have this particular feature on, Maybe you just don't uninstall hardware and we'll do, you know, we'll have strategies, DNI strategies, do not install strategies at the factory to say, well, this customer is going to install or deploy at these sites. They don't care to have this feature. Do not install, you know, these chipsets or, you know, these sensors on this, this product. But maybe later on, they're going to leverage that same piece of hardware with, with those sensors, with those chipsets, and then you reinstall them back in at the factory time and allow them to continue. So just a SKU strategy for sensors is also pretty big. Uh, potentially you're future-proofing your products. Yeah, and you also, um, I know you can also sort of disable, like at the hardware, if you don't if you do not do a DNI at the hardware level, you can, through the firmware, um, disable certain features and then enable them later when the overall solution can support it, like you know, Bluetooth or some other types of, of applications over and above uh, you know, the specific use case. Um, and that can be done like over the air. So that that is another layer of flexibility, which won't necessarily save you upfront on the hardware cost because you still have to put the module on the device, but it, the solution can actually involve without ever changing anything on the hardware side. You just enable it through firmware uh, over the air. So as we kind of get to, to the end here, I have two questions that one of them we were actually talking about before this episode started, which I wanted to bring up, I think is important, um, and Eric kind of hit on, which is, uh, on the connectivity side. So just generally speaking, uh, LP WAN, um, we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts from a hardware perspective on just kind of the impact uh, and your thought and just overall growth of LP WAN and its impact on the IoT space. And then Eric, anything you think worth adding? Well, I'll, I'll start off on that, having been the carrier guy and, and been dealing with connectivity almost my entire career. You know, there, there is uh, an alphabet soup today of so many different choices. And you have LPWAN technologies like LoRa that are independent of the cellular uh, configurations. And then you've got NB-IoT, m one and others that are being uh, designed and developed and deployed on the carrier side. Here's the bottom line today is if you don't have a box where you're trying to push a certain level of connectivity because you already have a box, then you're free to design anything you want to meet the customer's needs for that particular solution. And it might be Laura, it might be CAD-M1 because oh, you need texting to wake up the device or, or whatever the, the needs are. The key is to be completely connectivity neutral and agnostic and be able to support it all because no one size solution from a connectivity standpoint solves all problems. It just doesn't exist. It's either too expensive or too much battery drain or not enough coverage or whatever it happens to be. So you have to have the flexibility of going in of any type of connectivity and supporting it all. Yeah, and, and touching on that a little bit on the from the, the actual module cost, right? There are a lot of options, as John said, it is an alphabet soup of options, but at the end of the day, 
you, you have to look at your customer's needs. If it's going to like a, let's say a segregated area, like we talked earlier, it's a factory floor environment. Laura is a really good choice for that. If you know it's gonna remain within a contained environment, having a, you know, a local LPUN environment backhauled either through ethernet or cellular is a very, very good option. It's very inexpensive. The cost of modules have come down dramatically. Uh, chipsets have come down dramatically in the last few years. And oftentimes sub, you know, $3 range, sub $2 range even. That's, that's always a good option. Um, conversely, if you're going to be in a situation where you need, you know, uh, no bounds on your coverage, you want nationwide coverage, uh, Canon One and Narrowband, for that matter, uh, through multiple carriers, has been very, very good. Um, they're effective. Um, implementing them has been pretty straightforward. And the cost of the modules themselves have come down dramatically. I think we've seen Narrowband modules now get south of $7 per unit. So you can get a custom cellular solution with relatively inexpensive uh, coverage, monthly fees of sub $1, sub 70 cents even in some cases, 50 cents even, um, for, for under $7, $7 a unit. So it, it, it's, it's a pretty major shift from where it was even three or four years ago where putting cellular on a device meant 10, 12, $15 uh, bomb cast ladder. Bomb so that's, that's gone away now and it's, it's much more level playing field with all these different options. Yeah, and I, I I'm super excited from from my lens or from where I sit that I think really next year you're going to see the LP WAN and for the for the audience out there LP WAN we, we've we've said it a lot and probably haven't defined it but it's low power wide area networking and it's typically IoT specific connectivity it's not the stuff you would you read about in the headlines all 5G it's it's all the stuff that devices connect to over over long ranges battery sensitive and inexpensive uh, connectivity, but you're not gonna stream a YouTube video over an LPWAN type of, uh, of, of connectivity. But you know, for the reasons that Asar and John both mentioned, um, being connectivity agnostic is important, but the combination of LoRa modules, MBIT, you know, M1 modules, the module cost coming down, the certification from the carriers because they have to be, you know, both FCC and, and carrier certified. That's all happening. You have the whole ecosystem is building devices around them, so you're getting more and more devices that are available. Now these are more off-the-shelf devices, but it also enables companies like Core Connect to very quickly assemble a custom solution using those same low-cost components to meet use cases. So, I feel like. Going into 2020, we're going to see an explosion on the IoT side of LP WAN type of deployments. And because they're low cost and wide area, you're going to start seeing the scale that, that IoT has been promising for a long time in the enterprise space. I think it's going to finally enable and unlock a lot of those use cases that heretofore have essentially been a little too expensive to do on both the connectivity side and on the hardware you know, CapEx side, I think all of a sudden it's going to drop below this key threshold and it's just going to enable an entirely new universe of solutions for every industry. So I'm, I'm super excited about going into next year, although sort of the, the backdrop that we're all working in within the IoT ecosystem of how this is going to really start really growing. Well, and you make some great points, Eric. I mean, we keep talking about the Internet of Things and there's going to be billions and a trillion devices out there. And it's not going to happen until the things are simple. And that's why we believe that things need to be simple. And that's an important part of what we're doing here because it's, this is the missing link. This is the final piece that will make IoT 
simple enough to hit major scale. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. Um, just, you know, one of the biggest things we've learned at IoT for All is how complicated people believe IoT is, hence why we kind of started this whole thing, which is, you know, simplifying all the different components of an IoT um, solution um, from end to end. And now we're actually seeing it actually happen uh, in the in the real world. Like the hardware is getting more simple, the software is getting more simple, making it more achievable for people to deploy these solutions and reach those goals that we've kind of been promised for many years. Uh, so the last question I have for you guys before we finish up here is kind of more of a general piece of advice I'd like to have you guys um, just share with the audience. Um, as a company that's out there looking for hardware, whether it's custom, whether it's off the shelf, or they're just kind of going through that phase of their development, what kind of questions should they be asking themselves and what kind of questions should they come prepared to ask when they are, um, or answer, I guess, when they go out and look for a hardware partner to work with? I think first and foremost, the question they should answer is, what do we really need? What is a real problem that we're trying to solve? It's easy to get wrapped around the axle when you start talking about hardware, customer hardware, about all the things that are possible and impossible really for that matter. But identifying what it is you actually need as a company, as a group, as a business unit, whatever the case may be, to solve your problem, that's first and foremost. Once you get that down, understanding where you're going as well, not just where you're at today. Where do you wanna be in you know two years and four years and six years? What problems do you wanna solve then? And how do you want this solution, this hardware, to be a, a part of that equation, right? At the end of the day, you don't want a bunch of disjointed solutions as a company or as a, as a, as a business unit when you're trying to solve these problems. You want a cohesive solution that makes sense or a cohesive set of solutions that makes sense um, for you. So I think understanding, first and foremost, what you need and where you're going. And only then can you address what you actually need from a hardware standpoint. That's great. My feedback on that is start early. People wait too long on hardware. They get their business model. They, they figure out this is what they want to do. They start writing software. They start creating the solution. And then they go look for hardware mm -hmm. six, 12 months later. Start early. Make hardware a key part of your, your process from day one. And, and it can be. <laughs> yeah, yes, it can. <laughs> And another thing I've, I've seen with that is making sure you don't limit your connectivity options and say, we read uh, this buzzword, everybody keeps talking about Zigbee, LoRa, Cat M1, or NB-IoT, and we're going to definitely use that for our implementation. And then you, you talk with them and they're like, where are you going to deploy this? And they're like, in our building that has Wi-Fi every, everywhere. So then why are you paying to right. implement the other connection when you already have it built into your infrastructure? So just making sure that you're open when you go into these things to not just say, this is how it has to connect, have yep. some some other abilities, because there are limitations on each one of these connectivity options. Yeah, that's a great point. And Eric, on the software side, how does kind of what they mentioned um, relate to to the, that software decision making process? Is it is it very similar? Are there different components that, or different pieces that customers should kind of come to with, um, you know, really thought through that apply more to the software than the hardware side? Um, I think it, the general philosophy is I think the customer needs to really focus on their business and their pain points. Mm -hmm. And so if they if they really understand what is the the problem they're trying to solve or the efficiency they want to gain, because that's the, where their expertise lies. We as you know, software company or, or Core Connect as a hardware company do not necessarily understand their business. We don't we don't live and breathe it. We don't know how operations work. We don't know what drives their profitability or customer satisfaction. We know how to build IoT solutions. We know the software side. They know Core Connect knows the hardware side. Mm -hmm. So I really like customers that come 
to us and they say, here's my problem. This is something I would like to solve. I have too many people doing this task and I would like to eliminate some of them and so they can work on something else that's more rewarding or I need to know, I don't want to be having truck rolls to go check and look at physically at something in the ground when I could sort of remotely see what that value is and save myself on the cost of transportation back and forth. Right. So, so I really try to get our customers to tell us their actual business pain points with no implementation whatsoever and then let Core Connect and Leverage imprint the right solution mm -hmm. that solves those business pain points at a particular ROI. So if a business knows what they want to solve and they know about how much they think it's worth to solve that, like what is their cost of not solving it is usually what, what they should come prepared with. Mm -hmm. Then we can really together jointly create the solution that actually meets all the requirements. It solves their business problem. It does it at the price they need it to be done at and it can be delivered practically and support it from right. a technical standpoint right that's great that is all wonderful advice i think our listeners would really appreciate uh, the last thing i guess core connect on your guys side if people out there listening are more curious to learn about what you guys are doing ways to connect with you ask additional questions on the hardware side what's the best way for them to kind of do that uh, absolutely through our website okay. uh coreconnect.com all right uh, so Drop us a line, send us a note, and we're happy to have a conversation with anybody that has any questions in the field. I mean, this is what we do. We do it because we love doing it. Yeah. So, and that's C O R E K I N E C T. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure we think all that up in our description and everything. Don't worry. Uh, this has been great. I really appreciate you guys for jumping on um, and doing this episode, Eric. You as well. This has been um, a lot of fun. Um, but other than that, we really appreciate your guys' time, and I hope to have you guys back on in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to that episode of the IoT for All podcast. I hope you really enjoyed the, everything that was mentioned by Eric Kahn, the CEO and co-founder of Leverage, Asar, Badri, John Horn, and Mitchell Kelly from CoreConnect. Uh, I thought it was really exciting, really interesting, a lot of good stuff discussed, especially on the hardware side. And a lot of people, you know, obviously know about hardware, but... Um, from, oftentimes it's kind of a fear. It's something that people are scared of. People are worried about think it's going to be the biggest cost uh, of an IoT solution and something that they're very kind of hesitant to really get involved and, in. you know, it does put a lot of stress on, um, on IoT deployments and kind of has hindered certain solutions getting built and out into the market for, for use and, and everyone's benefit. But hopefully they were able to lay some of those to rest and you guys are able to come away from that episode with some good value on kind of what custom hardware really means, kind of the process behind it, what Core Connect does, um, you know, all those different things, kind of the, you know, all the stuff we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we were going to talk about, hopefully you really found value, value out of it. Um, there were a lot of good points, um, so it's kind of hard to pull the ones I think are that are most interesting, but there's one thing that's kind of discussed at the end, um, which is kind of, I guess, brought up in ways throughout the entire episode um, just kind of about the engagement between companies like a hardware company or a software company like core connect and leverage um, and their customers and the people that they've interacted with when they've built solutions and something that was said at the end was really talking about companies should be focused on their business and their pain points you know what problem are they trying to solve um, what efficiencies are they trying to address um, because oftentimes the case is that these software companies and, and hardware companies don't understand the business that's coming to them um, in enough detail that as 
the people who work and live in that industry every day. So it's really important for those companies to come um, come into those engagements really understanding what they're trying to do, what they're trying to solve, how they think IoT is going to help them. Then then let the IoT experts, you know, kind of connect the dots, provide value and insights into the potential solution, the different components of the solution. So so if you're a customer out there looking to engage with a hardware company or software company, just make sure you you know you listen to this episode and come prepared um, as to, you know, what is it that you think IoT will be will be able to do for you, what kind of solution you're looking for, what kind of problem you're looking to solve. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, there's obviously got to be an ROI attached to it. So what is that ROI? What does that mean to you? Is it reducing the number of employees working on a certain project uh, or certain area of the company? Is it financial? Is it um, a different kind of resource constraint? Is that something you're trying to look to improve or, or adjust? So at the end of the day, just really understanding what you're coming to um, the table with and what you're looking to do um, or look at the problem you're trying to solve. Because I think with that information really shored up, um, it helps in those early stages of planning, whether it's you know planning the hardware that needs to be built or planning the software that needs to be built to help you down the line reduce any additional costs that need to go into iteration changes and so forth. So, so that was one of the biggest things I think was very valuable to take away from this episode um, and hopefully found a value in, in a lot of the other stuff that was talked about. But that's one thing I wanted to kind of mention at the end of this one, um, just to make sure you guys took away from it. But, you know, if you did enjoy this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you would um, subscribe if you haven't already. Um, leave a comment, review, rating on whichever platform you're listening to us on so that others can find it. And it lets us know that, you know, you're liking what we're doing or if there are things you think we can improve, let us know as well. Um, and we'll work to improve those um, on an ongoing basis. So. Other than that, you know, thank you guys again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, all the episodes we've done in the past, and we're working really hard to continue to bring you guys value in every episode we create. Thanks a lot.